Today we're going to be in John chapter 15, so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open to it. Uh, if you've got a digital version, that's totally fine, but if you've got an analog one, um, I'm going to refer to some things all over here. I would love for you to grab that, grab a, a notepad if you have one, and turn to John chapter 15. Now, as we get into this, I want to share um, like kind of an illustration or a thought that was shared with me a couple of months ago, and it was it revealed some things that, that I uh, think are really important, and I sense the Lord speaking to me personally and also um, for this next season of our church, and I want to kind of... Um, kind of give it to you. It, I think it fits neatly with the message God's put on my heart today, but it also will set up um, what is going to be a, a major spiritual um, priority for us in the fall and really in the spring. Um, so I was listening to a, I think it was a John Eldridge podcast back in April, and they, they were discussing, and they, they gave this hypothetical example of of like, it seems like we're coming out of the pandemic and it seems like life's returning to normal, but um, what if another, this is in April, I think April, May, they said, what if another variant comes out and none of the vaccines work and things shut down and you've got to wear a mask again and you've got to get back on Zoom and school shut down and we sign up for another year? Now they weren't predicting that, but they were like, just believe that to be true. And then they said, and, and what if there's another kind of racial reckoning moment uh, and, and we kind of relive kind of the, the summer of 2020 in like a new, fresh way. Um, and these things are kind of always happening, but, but I think we can all agree, like May of 2020 was an exceptional mo moment in our history. And, and, and racial tensions and all the opinions and the feelings that go along with that and the protest and, and the not liking the protest or all that stuff will happen again. Third thing they said is, is what if the politicians get a little bored and they just like ratchet up the nonsense another notch? And, and maybe there's like another January 6th-esque moment or, or maybe there's just, I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can do more on the division in Washington, but, but they can figure that out. It's not, I'm not going to put that past anybody, but there's a, you know, not just the pandemic, not just with like social and racial problems, but in our politics, there will be more division and more polarization and more grief and heartache over that. And then to a fourth one to throw in there is maybe there's a personal crisis you go through. Maybe um, your health takes a turn for the worse. You get a, di a bad diagnosis, or maybe you, your marriage hits a rough patch, or maybe there's something with your kids, or maybe you lose a loved one, or maybe you lose a job, or or maybe, you know, your house floods, or there's so, like there's something catastrophic that happens personally to you. And so uh, Eldridge proposed, he goes, what if all four of those things happened within a couple of months of each other in the fall of 2021, like right now? Like what if, like think about that. What if all four of those things happen? I'm not predicting that. I'm not Drew from the future. But uh, what if those things happened and just as we feel like we're coming out of this just horrific season of just cascading crises, what if we're just halfway through and you got to do another lap for another 18 months? I mean, just saying that, I feel anxiety in my body thinking about it. And if you ask me, Drew, can you do another 18 months of this? The answer is no, I cannot. I, I, I physically and mentally, emotionally and spiritually cannot do 
another 18 months of what we've been through. I can't do it. It, it would be like asking someone with a broken leg to run a marathon. Just physiologically isn't going to happen. I don't know if you're there and you're like, yeah, I can't do it. Or maybe you're like, man, the pandemic's been great. I'm an introvert and I've never been more happy. God bless you. I've not met too many of those people. I think almost everybody I've come into contact with is like, this has been on so many levels, such a year of loss and grief and heartache and suffering and pain like none other. And we just want some shalom, some peace, some joy. And yeah, I get that. How, where I felt the Lord speaking to me in that illustration was the fact that if you said, hey, you can do all, if all these things happen, could you go another 18 months? And my answer is no, because the gas tank is on E. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but if you're physically tired and weary, if you're mentally tired and weary, if you're emotionally tired and weary, if you're spiritually tired and weary, like I am weary of all of the division and all the polarization, all of the canceling of people when you don't agree with them, all of the nonsense, all of the heartache, all of the slandering. It's all heartbreaking and I, my soul cannot bear much more of it. And, and where I felt the Lord coming to me and speaking to me in that is, is I felt the Lord saying to me, and I, I wonder if he's saying it to you as well, is, is Drew, you've been living off of resources that you've had stored up. Like you've been kind of almost living out of your savings account in, in a sense, or, or you've been living out of your spiritual and physical and mental and emotional reserves. And the season of the last 18 months has been so significant that those reserves, no matter who you are, are depleted. And if, and if, if we are to continue without finding a way to daily, hourly, minute by minute, find restoration and refreshment in the Lord, we, you, I, will be writing checks that we can't cash. And so uh, that ties into today's message really well, but it also ties into what we sense the Lord speaking to us um, for the fall season and the spring season, and that is um, we need to grow in our emotional health. Uh, there's a quote by Pete Scazzaro that says, uh, it's impossible to be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature or something like that. We'll put the correct version of that on the screen. And what I've noticed in myself and what I've noticed in others, and if you just turn on the news, you've got emotionally immaturity. <laughs> you just emotional unhealth. And so really it all comes down to, and I hate to come across simplistic, it comes down to loving the Lord and loving others, including our enemy. And we need help knowing just how to love the Lord in a greater, more faithful, uh, healthier way. And we need to know, and we need help, and we need training and equipping and practice in how do we love others? How do we love people we disagree with? How do we love 
the weird uncle at the dinner table? How do you how do you love your enemy? How do you love yourself? How do you love others in the body of Christ? And it we need more than just like ugh, just try hard. So um, starting in September, I think it's September twelfth. We're gonna offer a twelve. I think ten. I think it's a ten week course on emotionally healthy spirituality. And that part one in this fall will be focusing on how do you love the Lord vertically? How, how do you have a daily office? How do you Sabbath? How do you deal with maybe the the the, 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 the grief and loss in your life or, or the, the your family history or all these things that can become um, barriers to your relationship with God, right? Um, you can't just try harder, right? You, you, you need some equipping in how do you love God greater, more like with everything you've got, as Jesus tells, and as Deuteronomy tells. And so um, in September, we'll, we're going to launch a 10-week course in the middle of the week, at night, in person, at a location we're trying to find. And it will be an intensive workshop. It's not a small group. It's not a Bible study. It, it is a course that you take, there's a cost and all that, and we've got uh, information on our website that you can check it out. And in the coming weeks, we'll be rolling out more and more information on, as we do that. And then in the spring, we will do part two, which is emotionally healthy relationships, how you love others, right? So this fall, we'll focus on how do we love the Lord vertically. In the spring, our, our aim is to, uh, as we understand right now, um, teach on how do you love others on a horizontal plane. And our Sunday messages will be kind of in tandem with that stuff. So um, that's coming up. And I just wanted to just give you a little bit of insight and, and to also ask you to pay attention to your body, to pay attention to your mind, your emotions, your thoughts, how you're feeling. God often is speaking to you through your body. Your feelings aren't always true, but they will often reveal and lead you to the truth that God wants to bring to your attention. So I encourage you, don't stuff that stuff. If you're not doing okay, do not stuff it. We want to help you. And I am, for one, am going to go through this thing. So John 15, we'll read it, read part of it, and then uh, I wanna give you some context and try to apply it to the, the, the life that we have right now. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And in verse 4 here, there is a word that he will introduce that is repeated 11 times. And I want you to take careful note of it. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And here's the title of today's message. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you need the joy of Jesus? Do you need that fullness of joy? Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Last verse here. These things I command you, he doesn't suggest them. Our Lord commands them so that you will love one another. Hear the word of our Lord. I'd love to just draw your attention to some context here. If you're looking at your physical Bible, you, you, you notice that just two chapters back in, in chapter 13, you have Jesus washing the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Uh, it, this is Thursday of Holy Week, and, and you know any, every time that we uh, celebrate communion, you will hear me say on the night that Jesus was betrayed, this is that night Jesus utters this teaching of, uh, of that he is the true vine, that apart from him we can do nothing. He utters that on the night that he was was betrayed. And so on, on this hand, you have um, chapter 13, where, where Jesus is with his disciples. He is sharing with them this Passover that he has desired greatly to share with them. He washes their feet. He washes Judas's feet. He serves Judas communion. Then he tells Judas to go quickly and do what he has determined in his heart to do. He talks about them betraying one another. He, he gives them this new commandment. And then um, with the other accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know that they get up and they sing a hymn and they go to Gethsemane where he's going to pray. And on the way to Gethsemane, we get chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 of that is in John, right? So what Jesus is um, sharing with us here in John 15, it, it's really his last moments of being on the road with his boys and, and you know any of his disciples that are with him. You have to understand that. Like of all the things, like Jesus could unload. 14, 15, 16, 17 of John is the things Jesus felt necessary for disciples in that moment. As he goes to the garden to pray where they will fall asleep and where soon Judas, someone he spent three years loving, serving, doing ministry with, will come with uh, officers, with torches, and will use a kiss, the, the sign of intimacy and commitment and loyalty. Judas will use that symbol of, of intimate commitment to betray Christ. And in between that betrayal and the washing of feet, Jesus utters this stuff to his disciples. 
And, and so I just want to suggest to you that what Jesus teaches, not just in 15, what I've read, but in the surrounding chapters is of great importance for us to pay attention to. Now, some, some context here, because this is highly agricultural, and uh, I don't know if any of us have, have been vine dressers before, um, but as they're walking, most scholars think that um, the, the route that they took from the upper room to Gethsemane, um, on, I think it's the right-hand side, I, I, I don't remember, but on one side, there is the, the, the hills of the vineyards, and if, if it was at night, you would see the lanterns of all the vine dressers out there attending the vine and pruning and so you, you can imagine Jesus with the disciples and off to the side, you see in the landscape, the vineyards and you see the vine dressers at work. And you could possibly see the piles of the branches that they have piled that, that are withering and that they will set on fire. And that, that's the imagery here. And, and, and that, that imagery of the vineyard and the vine dressers and the pruning and all that to the disciples meant their economics, and their way of life and their sustenance, and their joy, right, with wine. But on the other side, you have the temple, and it's Passover, and so we know that the custom um, during the Passover season was that the gates of the temple would be opened in the city, so you could kind of let people come in and out. And on the gate of the temple was a big golden vine, because uh, just as, you know, America has um, an association with like the bald eagle, or Texas has, you know, uh, like the blue bonnet. Um, Israel's version of that is the vine. And it comes from Psalms where the psalmist says that the Israel was like a vine transplanted out of Egypt. And so like, like the vine is a very powerful image to especially uh, the first century Jews, but not limited to them um, because of their history in Exodus and how God delivered them. And, and so there was so much religious and like national and political pride wrapped up in the image of the vine. And so on the temple gates um, was a golden vine. And we know it's Passover because the Passover moon, if you didn't know, um, you know, Easter and, and, and Passover and all that is, is based on the lunar calendar. That's why Easter changes every, like, it's not the same date. You know, Christmas is the same date, but Easter is always moving. It's because of the Passover moon. So because of the Passover moon, like this giant light source in the sky, you, you would see this magnificent reflection of the, of the gold vine, right? And that was really a symbol of their religious system and pride and also their politics, their, their nationalism. It was, was all wrapped up in that, right? And so Jesus is literally, physically standing in between this image of the vineyards and the vine dressers and what would you would see in their economy, their way of life, their sustenance, and their joy in, in, in the wine. And on the other side, you would see the golden vine of Israel, which has so, um, so much uh, political and religious connotation to it. In, in the middle of that, on the night that Jesus was betrayed while leaving the Last Supper on the way to the garden where he would soon be betrayed, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I think other translations say, I am the vine, the true. And it's easy to read this and go, well, I'm the vine, you're the branch, but, but, but there, that word in there is true. The, the, the word true is easy to miss. And it's so important because what Christ is doing on the night that he was betrayed, you've got to get this, is in between the imagery of their 
religious system, their political system, their nationalism, their pride, and their economy, their sustenance, their way of life, their joy in eating and drinking. In between both those vine images, Christ stands in between them. And he says, I am the true vine, not your religious system, not your national politics, not your economy, not your eating and drinking and being merry in your way of life and your sustenance. No, 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 no. I, the person of Christ, is the vine, the true, the true vine. It is so rich with so many implications and imagery there. I wonder how much imagination you need to apply that to our day today. I want to draw your attention to verse 4, as I did when reading it, is he says, abide in me. And this word, abide, occurs 11 times per my notes here in this text. Anytime, of course, you see something repeating in the Bible, you should pay attention to it. It's there for a reason. And we don't use that word much today, but really it just means remain. It means stay connected. It means to tarry, to linger, to stay in close connection. And he's just over and over reiterating that he is the vine, we are the branches. He is the source, we are the offshoot, we are the end product, so to speak. Like we're the end of the thing, we're not the main thing. And there has to be a solid connection between the vine and the branches. I think today if Jesus showed up in our day, in the day of the internet, he would probably um, talk about, instead of uh, an agricultural metaphor, he would talk about like, um, you know, you're the device and I am the Wi-Fi router. Like you've got to stay connected. And we've all had that problem. You know, like you, you get a new phone and suddenly like you change carriers and you don't get the same reception and it's just always dropping calls and you're not getting voicemails and you, you just don't have a connection that remains, right? Or like your internet goes out or your router dies or your modem dies or, or you know, your, your, your internet provider is, is sketchy and you have that frustration of you just can't get anything done. You can't communicate with anyone and, and because you have this connection that is spotty, that has a break in it. I think Jesus would tell this parable today in digital terms of like, unless you're connected to my Wi-Fi, you're not going to be able to do anything. And that's kind of what abide means. I think we can translate it in that way, that you must not treat Christ as something you add to your life. You must not treat Christ as something that you casually interact with, which is easy to do in a pandemic when you can just like not be a part of a worshiping community or you can go do brunch instead of worshiping with, you, with your brothers and sisters or, or there's, there's so many easy ways to not abide with Christ, the person. is crucial. And the last thing I just wanna reiterate here is this really stark warning, I think. He says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to learn this lesson, my friends. Apart from Christ, we can't do anything. We can try, and oh, how history is filled with people trying to bear their own fruit in their own way, but the reality is, is apart from Christ, you can do nothing. I could just, for the rest of our time, I could just repeat that phrase over and over again. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. 
Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Apart from God, this, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. It's not that you can get some stuff done or you can get by with a C mind. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. What are you trying to do that is apart from Christ? What decisions are you trying to make right now that are apart from Christ that he has no, uh, you've not given him any authority in? What passions do you have, goals do you have, what ambitions do you have that you're chasing and you're doing them apart from Christ in your own effort, in your own strength, for your own reasons, according to your own will? We all do it. But what is it for you? Is it easier for you to abide in Netflix and abide with some wine or abide with some ice cream and ESPN or abide in Disney Plus or are you abiding in Christ? Apart from him, you can do nothing. Now this is, I think, never been more crucial and important than in the day in which we live. You've got to take this text that, that Christ gives us that John retells and you have to apply it and put it into practice in the context in which we live. And, and in case you haven't noticed, like we're living in some pretty gnarly times. If there was ever a moment in our life where it was crucial for you to abide in Christ and to live from a place of being connected with him, it's in this day and age. We live in a day of outrage we live in an age of outrage, that rhymes, I'd use that. We live in an age of falsehood. We live in an age of fake news and misinformation and, and twisting the truth and slanting the truth to meet agendas. We, we live in an age where your attention is monetized, whether that's on platforms like YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or even with the cable news. We, we, we live in a day where you are the product and you are constantly receiving messages after messages after messages after messages. We live in a day where if you don't like it, you just say it's fake news. We live in a day where if you disagree with someone or if someone makes a mistake, we are so quick to just write them off or cancel them. And I'm not saying if, if there's people who do things and that they need accountability, I agree with that. But, but we live in an age where, where everybody is devouring one another. We live in an age of offense, where it's not just the world that is easily offended, but it's the body of Christ that is easily offended. We, we live in a, a, an age of polarization and, and division that I've never experienced. I'm young, but I've never lived in such a time of such offense and polarization. In, in, in divisiveness. We live in an age where everything triggers you. We live in an age of relativism and, and there is no standard of truth. And what's true for you is true for you, but it's not true for me. We live in an age where the, the postmodern experiment has failed and most have not recognized it and do not understand the fruit that we are eating of this failed experiment. We live in an age of deconstructionism. We live in an age where it is easy and celebrated to deconstruct your faith while not having a vision for what you want to construct. 
We live in an age where the church is often hurt and wounded more than it's helped. We, we live in an age where we prefer wolves and sociopaths to lead our churches instead of meek, mild shepherds who have a life with God, but who are unimpressive. We, we live in an age where the body of Christ would prefer a CEO instead of a spiritual director. My friends, if there was ever a time where it was imperative that you had connection with crisis now. We live in an age where we want to redefine gender and redefine sexuality and redefine what holy matrimony means or doesn't mean. We, we live in an age where there is no standard of truth. We live in an age where the church can't even agree that there's systemic racism. We live in an age where my fellow peers and colleagues who, who are black daily get death threats and, are, and wake up every morning to messages from other Christians slandering them, bearing false witness, attacking them and their families. We live in an age where if you're a Christian and you just point out the, 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 the sin that our country ha has persisted in, which is greed and, and ethnic prejudice, that if you're a Christian, other Christians will slander you and bear false witness against you by calling you things like Marxist or communist or socialist or a critical race theorist or worse, a liberal. It's a joke. We live in an age where the body of Christ can't even have a conversation about what is so stinking clear in the library of Scripture. My friends, if there is ever an age, have I equally offended everybody? If there is ever an age where it is so necessary to live connected with high-speed connection to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it is today. And if you are severed, my friend, you are in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place that ends with no fruitfulness, with no peace, with no joy, and ultimately destruction. I want to read you, just because, you know, it's the mood we're in, a great quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, uh, the branch that breaks off from the tree in a storm may bloom briefly and give to the unthinking passerby the impression that it is a healthy and fruitful branch, but its tender blossoms will soon perish and the branch itself will wither and die. There is no lasting life apart from the root. Much that passes for Christianity today is the brief, bright effort of the severed branch striving to bring forth its own fruit in its own season. But the deep laws of life are against it. The Apostle Paul exhorts us to look to our sources, to be rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3 says. He says in what is obviously a confusion of figure, and again, he urges his readers to be rooted and built up in him in Colossians, which envisions the Christian both as a tree to be well-rooted and as a temple to rise on a solid foundation. I want to ask you, my friend, where in your life are you severed 
from connection with Christ? What are you trying to do in your own effort, in your own way? It may produce a blossom, but that blossom won't last. I know for some of you listening, watching, you are apart from Christ. You may not even consider yourself a believer. I want to encourage you while you have time today to connect with Christ, to agree with what he says here, that apart from him you can't do anything, to give your life to him and to welcome it and to establish a high-speed connection that won't drop. Maybe you're listening and watching and you've had a connection with Christ, but it's kind of dropped off. Something's happened. It's okay. It happens. Use this day to reconnect with Christ. Reevaluate your priorities. Reevaluate how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you invest in, what you put in your mind, what you listen to, what you watch, what you read. Evaluate whether you abide in the Word or whether you abide in things like Netflix or Disney Plus, which I like, or YouTube or Instagram or social media or whatever the latest thing is. Do you abide in those things more? Then you abide in the words of Christ. Reestablish that connection. And maybe you're listening, you're watching, and, and you have that connection. I just want to encourage you, treasure that connection, protect the connection, cultivate the connection, strengthen the connection. It's apart from Christ. You can do nothing. Jesus, thank you for, on the night you were betrayed, sharing this message with your disciples and how it has been relayed to us throughout the centuries and passed down. We humble ourselves and we confess all the ways in which we have not remained in your word, in your personhood, in your love. God, we ask that you would, as the psalmist said, search our hearts and reveal to us any way in which is not pleasing to you. Create in us not just clean hearts, but create in us a new, strong connection with the life of the universe. We need it, Lord. We cannot continue another minute without connection with you. We give you permission to invade our minds, our hearts, our wills, our agenda, our body, our emotions, our feelings, our spirits. Come into our whole person, our soul, and have your way with us. We surrender to you. And Lord, I pray for our church that you would make us people of love, make us people who are not connected in remaining in a political system or a national system or a religious system or even an economic system, but Lord, that we are connected in remaining, dwelling, tarrying, staying with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.